psychiatrist is obsessed with, which is attachment theory. So for many of you, you've probably had a lot of difficulty with relationships throughout your life, and that's no. why you're listening to this <laughs> podcast. How presumptuous of you. You just really want some help. So that's part of what this is for. Um, before I begin, I would like to say if you are a therapist and you already know about attachment theory and you want some books to learn more, I would recommend Attachment Theory in Practice as well as Wired for Love. And it will teach you a little more about yourself and your patients. But today, the book that I used heavily from, like I might be quoting exact things from this book repeatedly, is it's called Attach. The New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love. And I recommend this book many, like free, very frequently to either patients, friends, essentially everyone. Even if you have like a solid relationship and have had one for years, I think it can still be pretty interesting to read. So today we will also have Jonah guesting on this episode. Hello. Because... He's our producer, but also I turned him into my boyfriend, so he has to be on the episode. <laughs> hey. <laughs> okay, so I know you're wondering what attachment even is. I am. Yeah. So essentially, there are three main attachment styles, and you might have heard of them before. The three attachment styles are secure, anxious, and avoidant. And so essentially, if you have a secure attachment style, you will feel comfortable with intimacy. You will be warm and loving. If you are more anxious, you'll crave intimacy, but you're often preoccupied with your relationships and you often worry about your partner's ability to love you back. And then avoidant people equate intimacy with a loss of independence and they're constantly trying to minimize closeness in their life. So some other facts are that about over a little over 50% of people are actually secure and have predominantly a secure attachment style. And then around 20% are anxious. And then about 25% are avoidant. And then the last leftover percentage has the worst <laughs> attachment style, which is a combination of anxious and avoidant. Try to avoid those people. So... Most people, when they think about attachment styles, they probably think of like their psych 101 class where they learned about how a baby's relationship with their maternal figure um, as an infant and causes some sort of attachment style to develop. But presently, we know that that's just one component and there's a genetic component. And then your relationships as an adult have a huge impact on your attachment style. So it's a combination of all three. And attachment styles are fluid throughout your life. You can initially be anxious, but if you land yourself in a relationship with a secure person, you could learn to be secure too. So they don't always stay the same. Or you could have be initially secure and have a bad relationship, and it could make you develop an anxious or avoidant attachment style. So it can change. So another thing that I think is sort of ignored in our society today is that, you know, our brains are actually wired to be attached. We're wired to develop attachments. And when once we are attached, we will often seek the support of our partner. We always want to make sure that they're okay mentally and physically. And that's normal. So part of attachment, too, is that 
when your needs are met, you'll be very secure. But if your needs aren't met, you will be insecure, not just in your relationship, but in your entire life. So people have a secure relationship, they, and they're getting their attachment needs met, they will be, you know, capable of doing more. They'll be able to go out and accomplish the things that they want in the world and they'll feel secure and they'll feel supported. But people who don't have this, they'll be fixated on their relationship or fixated on other things and they won't be secure enough to, you know, go go out and do what they want. And you often see this in like, you'll see, you'll maybe know a couple and you'll think about like, oh, my friend, they started dating this person and now they're like not doing anything that they want to do. They're, they've given up a lot of things that they had said that they wanted to do and they spend a lot of time maybe like ruminating over their partner or something they like that. They lost themselves. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> so one of the things that initially a lot of the I guess, research on attachment started in the mid 20th century. And it did start with looking at kids in orphanages. So they found that like kids in orphanages, they never had that initial attachment with any figure. And um, they found that, you know, they developed these problematic attachment styles to salt. And then in the 50s, they did studies with monkeys Um, And you can look this up on YouTube. It's actually pretty depressing. You look up Harlow's experiments, and they did this with baby monkeys, and they found that having a connection with a caretaker is just as significant and essential as having food and water. And if you don't have both, you you know, you can die. So it's pretty serious. So also, another thing about attachment is there are studies that show that once you become attached to someone, you form one physiological unit. So your partner regulates your blood pressure, your heart rate, your breathing, and the level of hormones in your blood. So you're no longer a separate entity. Dependency is a fact. It's not a choice. So, yeah. I was just going to say, and what you're allowed to watch on TV. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, right, it's like, in our culture, like enmeshment is viewed as such a bad thing, but actually if you secure a relationship, you will become a mesh. You're like one person. You're no longer separate individuals, your unit, and it is what it is. Yeah, and I think that you see that in medicine when um, there's a couple that's been together for, we'll say like 50, 60 years plus, and one of the spouses passes away the other one really i you always hear well they died not too much late not too long after they were never the same because you're almost missing another half of you that makes sense i mean if you have a really secure attachment it's very long like i can imagine that it wouldn't really be worth living without that person especially if you're already like older like you're not forced to continue on yeah you know so i understand that i think it makes sense it does So there are actually so many studies that I found really interesting. And these are all from the book, by the way. So I might seem like I'm rambling, but I thought these were really, really cool. So they did one study where they used fMRIs to scan the brains of married women. And they would stimulate a stressful situation. And they told them that they were going to receive a little shock. So normally when you're in a stressful condition, your hypothalamus becomes activated and so this did happen. They saw their hypothalamus light up. Because on fMRI, 
it's a, called a functional MRI. You yes. can see which parts of the brain are active during different states. Yes, thank you for explaining. <laughs> so then they did something else with the experiment where they had them hold a stranger's hand while they waited for this. And there was reduced activity in the hypothalamus when they did this. So e the comfort of anyone can make waiting for something like stressful to happen more bearable. Oh. Yeah. So then what they did next is they had them hold their husband's hands and the dip was way more dramatic. Their stress was barely detectable, but even more so if people had previously, like I guess they did surveys beforehand to rate their marital satisfaction, the people with the highest marital satisfaction subsequently had the biggest decrease in their hypothalamus being activated. Oh, I love that. But you know, the part I love the most is the stranger still having an impact. Yes. That's what because, I took away from that. I mean, I think, you know, any human comfort is better than none. Like there's nothing, you know, and part of attachment too is, although we're going to talk about it predominantly with relationships, this goes, it goes for all like people, humans are designed to be attached to humans. Obviously the strongest connection is like, I would say could be, Probably one with your child would yeah. be the number one strongest attachment. Uh, but since that's not as much of a, I don't know. Either way, people tend to focus on romantic ones more. But in general, not just, you don't need attachments just with like a romantic partner or children. And not everyone has one of those. But you definitely need like some, some humans in your life. I think that that's evolutionary. I always have, whenever there's a thing where we say, well, for whatever reason, I think it always goes back to evolution. And we are, I guess, a quote, you know, let me know if I'm wrong, like anthropologists, I mm -hmm. guess we're a tribe species. So we'll be maladaptive for somebody not to form a relationship. So if they're kind, they're not going to survive on their own. They need the yes. other people. Mm -hmm. And this book that I referenced, I didn't go into it, but it talked about evolutionary reasons for why people could develop anxious or avoiding attachment styles. Like maybe they were in really like chaotic time or like you know there were less so resources or things like that mm -hmm. and either having an anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style could benefit them so gotcha. there is you know theories behind that as well so there is if you are a psychiatry resident or i guess probably deep into the field of psych there's no way that you haven't heard about john bowlby and he is a british psychologist who studied child development in the mid 20th century. And before there was science to prove this, he understood that we have a very great need for someone to share our lives with, and that this is part of our genetic makeup, and it has nothing to do with how much we love ourselves or how fulfilled we feel on our own. So he understood that once you choose someone, that there are powerful forces that sort of kick into play and you don't have a lot of control over them. So new patterns of behavior will occur. And he definitely was the first person to sort of state, like, there's no question about once you're at that point whether dependency exists or not. It always does. Um, and I thought that was really cool that he saw that before everyone else. And so part of that is that, you know, if your partner is upset, you're going to be upset too. And, you know, there's just a very vested interest in that person and their well-being. And part so the background on him is that he worked in orphanages, I believe. And initially he was a medical doctor or in med school and then he dropped out and decided to like study orphans. Mm -hmm. So that's when he noted a lot of this stuff. And orphan studies are good because 
you don't know the genetics of, you know. I think part of it is, too, it's just like there there's a reason why in America there isn't orphanages anymore. Being in foster care, being passed from person to person is considered better than an orphanage where you literally have no chance to attach to someone. And just found that, you know, and, and in some third world countries, I mean, there still are orphanages. Like, yeah. um, if you're a psychiatrist, there's a good chance, you know, you'll end up treating someone who was born in Russia and grew up in an orphanage for a little while before they got adopted by an American. And that's like, you know, you're going to potentially see the effects of not having any person to attach to for the first like nine months of life. And the realities in America, unfortunately, I've also seen with kids who are born to parents with substance use, even though they're not in an abort, like in an orphanage, they often have no predominant caretaker and they're just like sort of and they have no stranger danger it's really weird like you can Mm -hmm. just hold them and they're like right nine months at the age where they should be screaming and they're just like "Hmm, calm pleasant whatever you know so it's it's and I'm not saying that's with like all I'm not trying to stigmatize substance users by any means but it's a known fact that you know someone who has severe substance use issues and that are not in check at all is probably not going to be the best parent. It takes a lot of time to have a florid, you know, dependence because you have to obtain the drug and the time it takes getting high, being high, making money to support the habit. Like it's, it's the whole lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Sorry, I really have to ask this before I forget. Did they do any studies on people who were, in either like polygamous relationships or had cheated uh, or had like an affair, like a very long-term 20-year affair, did they do any studies comparing that person's attachment to the mistress and the wife or did they? That's so specific. I can't answer it, but you know, it'd definitely be something interesting to look into. Um, But there might be some cues with the things we talk about later that sort of clue you into a little bit about what could be going on with their attachment style. Cool. So there's one other study going back to like how if you have a supportive relationship, how beneficial it can be for you. Um, There was a study done by a psychologist that asked couples to discuss their personal goals and opportunities with one another in lab. And so if they felt that the other person was supportive, they increased, they reported an increase in self-esteem and elevated mood, and they thought they would be more likely to achieve their goals. But people who did not have that tended to downplay their goals and didn't have like, weren't even able to state a plan of how they would implement, you know, succeeding in their goals. So pretty interesting stuff. And there was another study that showed if like you have mild high blood pressure if you're in a satisfying marriage it'll be good for you because when you're in the presence of your partner you will actually have the benefit of your blood pressure being lower to normal levels interesting but if you are not satisfied in your marriage the opposite will happen and when you're around your partner your blood pressure will rise and it will remain elevated as long as you're in their proximity so the implications of this study is that when your partner is unable to meet your basic attachment needs, 
you could experience a chronic sense of tension and that could result in physical ailments. Um, so not only will your emotional well-being be sacrificed if you're with someone who isn't supportive or good for you, you will also have to sacrifice your physical health. Wow. Yep. I'm like thinking back on all my patients now. I'm like, I mean, everybody I have has high blood pressure because, I mean, usually they have had a stroke and now it's kind of haywire. But now I'm thinking like, was the spouse present when we checked it? When it was low? Was it when they were there or weren't there? Yeah. Just thinking. <laughs> so before the next part, I have to ask you, Allie, do you think, well, you can say what, right now what you think your attachment style is, but then also in the past, do you think you've been oh. that, or do you think you've been anxious or avoidant without knowing all the rest of the things that we're going to discuss? Okay, so right now, secure. Huh. In the past, anxious. I don't think ever avoidant, mm-hmm. but if I was with somebody who wasn't making me feel secure, and I use that word differently, like meaning secure, yeah, um, then I would become anxious. Yes. So I took the attachment style quiz and I tried to be really honest about me in this moment, but me in my life as well. And I think in the past, I probably would have been completely anxious and I would have only scored positive for an anxious attachment style. I don't think I'd ever have scored avoiding at any point in my life. Presently, I scored using the like survey in this book, I scored equally for anxious and secure. But I think we can all imagine, like, what secure is going to be, so I'm not going to go into it too much. But I want to specifically get into what I checked off that qualified as anxious. Because I think sometimes you're just a certain type of person, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you have these qualities that can make you go to the anxious side of things. So the things I checked off were feel anxious or incomplete when not in a relationship. And as much as I would like to say this is not true... It is a little bit true for me. So uh, I think I would, like, if I am single, I'll worry, like, will I ever meet someone? Mm. And that gives me a little bit of anxiety. Uh, Look, I'm a serial monogamous. (laughs) Well, I am, too. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Serial monogamous. But but not because I... I don't know what it is. I I think I like companionship. Because when I... The times that I have been single, if I was going to go to, like, the grocery store, I would bring, like, a male roommate or No, I can't be alone. I have, like... (laughs) I cannot, like... Even living alone is difficult for me. Being alone is difficult for me. This is... So it's, like, it's not just with romantic stuff. It's, like, in general, I need companionship. So, you know, and I, and you know what, like, what I said earlier, where, like, if you have someone and you have their support, you feel much stronger and more confident in going after your goals. I think that is probably the biggest thing that why I have, when I've been single, I can sort of feel a little bit, like, anxious. Um, So the second thing I checked off that qualified me as anxious was, I think about, it said, like, one of the statements was, I think about my relationships a lot. I'm like, okay, well, like, what? Like, so I'm not supposed to think about Jonah? Of course I think about my relationships it's a, a lot. There's a, different, but there's a difference between thinking about Jonah and thinking, like, a meta metaphysical thing. Like, I don't even know if I'm using that word right. Thinking about your relationship between you, like, not something tangible, versus no. thinking about tangible Jonah. Or <clears throat> or what about thinking, thinking about someone versus worrying? Ooh. Oh, okay. Well, I I wouldn't say I predominantly worry. I'd say I predominantly think. I didn't really it's, know it's because weird. it also said relationships yeah. plural, and I'm like, I'm not thinking about my relationships plural. Well, yeah, that was more like interpersonal 
generally do you like dissect every yeah. conversation yeah. like you and I have? Or if yeah. I texted Kay instead of, okay, does that bother you? Yeah. Do you think like I need to check in with Al? So that one I wasn't totally sure, but I checked yes because I was like, well, I think about my partner a lot or whatever. So I was like, check, mm-hmm. whatever. But I don't know if like I should have checked that. Either way, I did. Yes. I mean, some of these questions I think could quickly go in either direction and there's definitely like a, a version of answering it where it's like a good thing mm-hmm. and, and a healthy thing like I yeah. would take that question as, when it says relationships plural is like not just your romantic right. companion but everybody and like someone right. who isn't just sitting there being wrapped up about themselves and actually considers other people in their life is a yes. good thing Yes, I agree. That's well, then I do think, because I think about, like, not in a worrying way, but I think about, like, people I care about, like, sure. a lot. Right. It's you, just the type of person I am. You yeah. check in with your relationship. That makes sense. Like, you think, you stop and think, well, when was the last time I called my mom? Well, some of it, I think, is just some of us are more, like, wired to, like, have, like, very serious like, a lot of my friends will joke, like, oh, my God, you have so many best friends. Like, mm-hmm. but, like, relationships are important to me. I do. <laughs> but it's not an issue. It's just how I am. <laughs> I, You know, and so I think some of us might be wired for things that make us more one way or another. So the next thing that I checked off was, uh, and this is 1,000% tr- true. Like, I can't argue it at all. There's This is straightforward. I tend to get very quickly attached to a romantic partner. That's how I am, how I've always been. I either don't like someone at all and could care less, or I'm, like, totally checked in. Okay, I, I have to it's say. It's an extreme. Isn't that, if you are the opposite, wouldn't that make you avoidant? Yes. Yeah. But I, I think they're saying, like, so, like, for example, Joan and I have been together for, like, a month. For, <laughs> <laughs> like, high schooler. Number one, he's on this podcast to talk about, like, a secure relationship or whatever with me and to so like a lot of like for example Alyssa I'm calling you out but like you've called me out like 20 times for thinking my relationship is progressing too quickly but maybe you just don't get attached as quickly as I do and we're also adults we don't have yeah I'm also about to be 30 so everyone can fuck off we're not like joking we're not playing games anymore well no no no. and that's something that comes up later so yeah so people can screw off it's not a too quick attachment it's more of an honest look I like you you like me let's like stop the nonsense and like yeah once you've been through enough stuff you you can get something pretty quickly yeah well like here's the thing thing. if I'm if I don't like you a ton from the beginning like what is the point of even continuing onwards right I'm not here like I I didn't want a relationship like no seriously I didn't I said I told everyone I was not gonna be in a relationship for the rest of residency I was adamant I'm gonna focus on me no, I was like, I have issues. I knew I had some sort of issues, which I'll get into some of my, rela- but I was like, clearly I'm not, I don't have good judgment. I'm not capable of picking anyone right. Clearly. And, and I'm, <laughs> and whoever I pick is going to hold me back. That was my biggest thing, which, you know, um, it does say in this book and what we've talked about where if you're with the wrong person, they will hold you back. Yeah. And absolutely. every single time I've been in a relationship with in the past, I was held back. And I was like, I don't want that. So I'll just do me. Bye. Okay. Okay, Lizzo. (laughs) Uh, Please don't compare me to her. Oh, my God. Is that offensive? Everyone likes her. She's just a little too much. I I love her. Okay. Well, that's your opinion. and I have mine. (laughs) So next one. I am very sensitive to my partner's moods. Okay. But like, how could I not be? 
I'm a psychiatrist. Like I pick mm. up on everyone's moods and I absorb them. And obviously I have really good boundaries if it's a patient and I won't really absorb them outside of like the session, but like I will know how you are feeling and I will know if something's like off even a little bit. So yeah, that's just how I am. I don't, I think that's a gift beyond being a psychiatrist. I think that that's, yes, you fine tune it, but I think that that's a, that's just something you were born with probably. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So next one. And this one is another one that maybe I shouldn't have checked off, but I was just like, I don't like this question and, but I don't like this statement, but guess what? It's sort of true. And I'm going to explain why. Okay. So it says, I worry if my partner leaves me, I might never find someone else. So that's not a bad thing. That means you just really like your partner. So that's what I'm saying. Like it's also about knowing the odds of finding someone that's like a good match. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't you know. think I could find anyone like Jonah and <laughs> no, I'm serious. I didn't know that you oh, could man. like have this type of connection with someone. So if he's gone, like I'm just, I'm like, fuck it. I'm, I already told him this too. He knows it. So I'm just Glad putting it out there. Cry. I'm not trying to make anyone cry. I'm just being <laughs> genuine and real. That's awesome. That's, that is a good, that is a perfect description of like that question that per, I, yeah. I, I get that. And I always think of that. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, but I always also have thought of that as like, there's a lot of people that think you're like into, you know. Uh, like like rainbows and unicorns if you think there's like a soulmate for you and there's only like one person for you. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that. I think no. there's probably several, you know, a lot of people that you could encounter That you're more your compatible life. with than others. Yeah. But, I, but the way I, I mean, I could get into this whole logical path that I'm not going to get into. But basically, like you live to be 80 or 90 and like if you meet a person like that, like don't you deserve as much time in that kind of relationship as possible? Oh my God. So like why would you just sit around waiting for something else on that level when you just found it? That's sort of my thought about it. Well, like, so my thought, too, is, so yes, I could find <laughs> plenty it. of people that I would be okay with, right? Yeah. But, like, and most, I think that most people do find someone that they're just sort of okay with, and, you, you know, that that's settling. their choice, and they end up with that person. And I, I would never say, like, anything, like, okay, I would, if you ask me, like, a few months ago, if I believed in soulmates, I'd be like, definitely not. And I still don't want to say that, yes, I don't want to change my answer to that question, mm. but I don't think, like, I could just replicate another you. Just saying. Just putting it out there. So, go, no, please, go. No, I mean, I'm good. I don't know. <laughs> That's very sweet. I I'm going to say something crazy. Yeah. Everybody I've ever been with was my soulmate at that time. Yeah. Well, no, and wow. I believe that too. And is it just there's an expiration date? Like if God forbid something happened with my boyfriend, I'm not gonna go off that and just reset into how soulmate? I believe that there's all these different soulmates and stuff like that. Um, because the th thing about me is I have a lot of like I'll say very logical things and then I'll say things that are like very like what is this girl? Is she like? Does she have like a tray of crystals that she's like praying to in her room nothing against people who have a tray of crystals that are praying. i'm not trying to offend anyone i am both but you know there there are theories about how there are different soulmates and i went through and identified like what who would be what in my life and he did this oh. well, did well the same also thing. like i mean everything's a balance and like we're not always aware of what that 
total picture is, but like this uh, attachment style test is a good example of like um, taking a bunch of different factors and like kind of figuring out where you are. And I think the whole quote unquote soulmate thing and going back to what I was saying about how there could be multiple people that would work for you, but like it makes sense to stay with the first person that you meet. Like you, you might meet. So like if it's a scale of one to 10, you might like when I was single, like one thing I would be worried about is like, what if I decide to be in a relationship with someone and then through whatever set of circumstances, I meet someone who is better for me. And then I feel like I'm like locked in that situation. Uh, But here's the thing. I think if, if you meet someone who like, here's the thing, every other relationship I had, I I had this, I was like, Oh my God, is this the person I'm going to be forever? gave me so much I felt claustrophobic yeah like really claustrophobic Mm. and just saying I have never felt that with you and but you know it from early on like I would think things like oh my god what if this is the last person I have sex with (laughs) and it would freak me out so bad I would get like I'd be like oh my god no this can't be it and and like I I wouldn't express this to anyone but these were thoughts that I had did you identify that as a sign that this isn't the right person or no I thought this was was, I was like oh this is normal this is whatever this is how everyone feels except for I'd say by the time I was in my last relationship I was just like no, that I'm just going to be alone unless I find something like I'm not going to be with something. I'm not going to settle. Right. I'm going to be al- I'm going to be alone unless I find something that is significantly better than me being alone, which as much as like I feel a little bit incomplete when I'm like single, I'm pretty generally like uh good on my own like I can definitely entertain myself I'll dr- I like have a lot of friends that I can <laughs> force to be in my presence like I post memes all day I'm not like that lonely I have like my I cats post I post memes all day as as evidence that you're not lonely because I'm not lonely <laughs> yes no, I, I'm very I connected. Yeah, I'm very connected with, you know, through posting memes on Instagram and it's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And then you start to worry if you're with somebody like you're describing, you're you think that just everybody's like that and it's yeah. hopeless. Yeah. Exactly. So the next one and you know, I think in this is just something about how I am and how I've always been and I had to like check it off. I can't like lie. And this is the statement is, I worry that I'm not attractive enough. I've always, like, been hard on myself. And, like, you know, I hate it because I think people are going to be listening there and be like, why does she think she's not attractive enough? Like, what the fuck is wrong yeah. with her? Everyone like, just turned off the podcast. Yeah, they're like, you are so obnoxious. You can't actually think that. But the reality is I'm a person with insecurities. Right. I'm okay. Like, I acknowledge that it's in my head and I'm able to see that. But, yes, it's still there. I feel like you could change that question to like, I worry about what, whatever my own contextual or, or like individual insecurities are. Cause one person might be worried that they're not good looking enough. I was one one person might think they're not smart enough. One yeah, person might think, yeah. you know, weight versus yeah. I get yeah. That. No, I agree. So last one is definitely true. If someone I've been dating, I don't date, but whatever. If someone I've been dating begins to act cold and distant I'll worry that I've done something wrong. Yeah, how the fuck could I not? But maybe that's my own warp mentality. But sure, I'm definitely going to think um, I've done something wrong. Yeah. I don't think it's warped. I think it's a matter of like how much you keep, how much we all have our own weirdnesses. And my whole thing has always been acknowledging those weirdnesses and then being able to, when I'm feeling those ways, say, 
Jonah, this is you being weird. Like this is not a sta- this is not a, a balanced reaction to something, and then therefore trying to balance myself out a yeah, little bit. Yeah, and so. I think I'm pretty capable of like you, of being like this. This feeling might not be logical, but the reality is that I do pick up when things are even a little bit different, and I've like never been wrong in my life that something is maybe a little off, whether it's me or something else. So, can you read the question again? The statement is, if someone I've been dating begins to act cold and distant, I'll worry that I've done something wrong. I think the thing about this is it uses dating, and I don't really date. I've only ever been in relationships. So, mm. if someone you're in a relationship with begins acting cold and distant, like, it's not not necessarily it's, that you've done something wrong, but something is wrong, and then how can you not worry that part of that you contributed to? Okay, the, this question to me, the dating relationship the conundrum aside, the, that's their problem. Yes, which is which is and what they want you to think. Right, you but, shouldn't but have to. That like, is, what did I that's do? because I have components of an anxious mm. attachment style, so I'm not supposed to feel that way, but I do. I can't help it. But looking at this, I mean, it's kind of. I, I don't really think that this that this that this particular question is really worded correctly because one of the alternative answers to that same question is um, if someone I've been dating begins to act cold and distant I may wonder what's happened but I'll know it's probably not about me okay like that's well it is that about almost you. seems like oh, egotistical like oh weird. I didn't do anything yeah wrong. because here's but the thing it's about I, you too it's about yeah. the two of you so we have to remember that I also scored equally for secure so I was able to like sometimes check two things like yeah. mm. okay I'll worry that I've done something wrong but okay I'm also going to check the to one that says like it. because I scored equally so but, I have anxious components and I have secure components gotcha. but anybody who's sane and self-aware is saying wouldn't necessarily say um, I definitely think it's me, and they wouldn't think I, it's probably not me. They think like it might be me. I should ask. Exactly, exactly. Which is what I do. <laughs> and if I it is you, ask, I do are you going to change that? Like, well, no, it, that's, that's, that's me. Part of you don't want it. Bye. So the secure part of me, and this is why I'm equally secure, is that the anxious part is like maybe I did something wrong. But the secure part will then check in. Will then see if someone is like, you know. I mean, I can think in past times if I look back on my prior relationship where my ex was always demonizing me. By the end, I was like, hey, this is his fucking problem. This is not me at all. This is him. And by the end, I was able to do that, but not early on. So, you know, so I will say that then in this book, not only do they have this little quiz where you can do yourself... You can then go and take a quiz for your partner, which is actually, I think the the partner one is like way gentler. So I think if I took the partner one about myself, I would rate myself as secure, Uh, but whatever. Interesting. We'll see. So it it turns out that your ratings of me means that I'm a doofus. Okay. (laughs) Well, I I rated Jonah. I did the partner one for him and it came out as completely secure but we'll hear what he thinks of himself because i had him do the do, <laughs> I, I had him do the quiz that i took that rated me as equally anxious and secure which are two different quizzes um so what were your results talk um, us through it yeah i mean i think going through it a lot of the questions i mean these are matters that have always been important to me 
um, my whole life. I don't know that I ever like couched them in the context of, of attachment styles, although I've heard these terms before. Um, I just always thought of them a little bit more like the way that I'd experienced them like face to face in those kinds of ways. But so in terms of the, um, of, uh, rating myself, I had a few anxious, um, I think similar things, um, to you Anna, which one of them is that, um, I'm trying to remember, let me see. So yes, I think about my relationships a lot is technically an anxious answer, but I think we already went over the justification and yeah. explanation for that. Um, I tend to get very quickly attached to a romantic partner. Um, I was single for a while before this current relationship, and I think I've evened out a lot. So answering these questions was a little bit strange for me because I think a lot of this, um, to your first point, is about when you're answering it. Yeah. Like if I had answered the same thing when I was 25, like I would be very anxious. Yeah. I love that you guys took this test, by the way, and then just decided to like rationalize away your answers. Well, no, I think it's important. (laughs) I mean, and honestly, I don't want to be like, I think I'm anxious moving towards secure. And I think I want to show an explanation for that. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, I definitely in the past was much more anxious and did a bunch of things that quite frankly, weren't that great. And that I'm not that proud of not like, you know, anything terrible, but just like (laughs) being kind of a jerk about things in a way that I didn't mean to be a jerk, but, and, and, you know, doing things that short, you know, shortcutted myself and like kept me from being happy. So after, you know, years of of being single and looking for someone that I, you know, wanted to invest my time and self into, um, after some of the, my prior experiences, I, I kind of realized that I had to make a kind of a big change and get over some of that stuff. That's very mature. Um, it I, took, I mean, it took long enough, but... <laughs> but it happened. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, like I'm... growth Well, not all, that, not all those years that you were single where you're just trying to get better. It was also I wasn't like just sitting you on the couch thinking, It was also yeah. like you were dating people, but you just weren't into that anyone that much. Yeah, I mean, I was I was using my real life experiences and exposure to different pieces of these things to, to, to continue that. And for me, I'm like a principled person, so I need to like see things over a certain line in my head to be able to be like, okay, that's proven to be 100% like effectively 100% true in my experience so I can adapt that into my into my actual behavior. Cool. So like experiencing those things, meeting different types of people, living in different cities, being in different situations, m- going out of my way to make myself uncomfortable, do things that were not comfortable for me mm-hmm. and challenging myself was a large part of it. They say that growth begins outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, and I could, we could do like, you know, you guys could do like 80 episodes about that as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, because that's really important. So yeah, um, and the other part for me was, uh, so yeah, I had getting attached quickly um, and being very sensitive to my partner's moods. Um, and I just think that's just me being caring about people. I'm justifying that too, so there's that. I think in general, the anxious part of me... Um, Relationships do take a lot of my emotional energy, and I do think about them a lot. Um, I do share my feelings a lot. Um, and there are times where one of those things that I spent a lot of time thinking about and still do is that, you know, sometimes I'm like so gung-ho about fixing something or, or you know, resolving something or take something out of the open that I might kind of jump the gun on a thought and mis- misspeak or feel like I'm not describing my thoughts in the way that I really mean them. Yeah. So... That's caused some trouble before. That's me. That yeah. is me. I mean, we all do it, but yeah. yeah. But mostly it was secure. So my I didn't get anything on, on avoidant. Um, I got three. Excellent. I got Match the, made in heaven. I got 300 anxious and 12 under secure. I got six anxious, six secure. Okay. 
Wait, how many? Wait, was your test 312 questions and yours was no, 12? No, no, no. I think no. there's 12 <laughs> options and he must have checked off all the secure ones. Yeah. Well, there's, I think it's like there's 15, well, I don't know. I don't know how many actual options there are. But, but I, either way, like he yeah. is, it's, I have more growth ahead of me. I have eight years to catch up to you <laughs> and get uh, 12 secure and three anxious. Or eight years to sit, to stoop to my level. <laughs> it depends how you look at it. Um, and then my test for you was pretty similar to your own okay. self-assessment. So for avoidant, I mean, there's, so for, for, these there were 11 options each and it was on a scale of one to three so basically the lowest possible score you could get is an 11 right so on avoidant i have a 12 for you so all of them were one except for one i think i had a 12 for you too yeah and the only one i had for you that was avoidant was in the middle so one was definitely not three was definitely yes Mm -hmm. two was like maybe or sometimes basically Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're gonna laugh at this one but uh, the only one that i gave you a two on was devalues me or previous partners, which isn't about me. You just talked a lot of shit about previous partners. I do, I do, and I'm gonna continue it today. I'm so confused. Why would they put you in the same category as previous partners? Because it's probably about a propensity to just shit talk the person you're with. Like theoretically, theoretically, um, if I know that Anna talks shit about dudes that she was with before that things didn't work out with, then theoretically my brain could skip to, well, what if things don't work with us? What's she going to say about me? Theoretically. Yeah, but... Which I don't think would happen, but I think that's... In in my mind, that's sort of how I processed it when I was reading it. That makes sense. I get it. Also, these questions try to, like, summarize a lot within, like, a few words. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then, on again, so 11 questions. Max would be three points each. So So on the secure section, your max would have been 33, and I gave you a 32. I think I did. I think I gave you uh, twelve for the avoidance. There must have been something that I gave you a middle one for, and then I did give you a thirty-two as well for secure. So there the, was something that I gave you a middle one for, but I don't remember. So again, we're gonna we'll laugh a little bit on this one. So the one that I gave you in the middle, everything was a three, um, all good things, and then the only one that I gave you a two for, which is somewhere in the middle, was flexible view of relationships. <laughs> related. Those. Um, yeah. Oops. Uh, and so the definitely old, don't have a flexible view relationship. Yeah, and, and and honestly, it was more about just like things I've heard you say about um, physical attraction, which I don't disagree with at all. But like having certain physical attraction standards and needs, which again I don't agree, I don't disagree with. Um, but that's really that that was actually one of the details that constituted as like you know one of the pieces of that. So it was like. Um, thinks that like a successful relationship can only be with like a person that looks a certain way or whatever. I, I, There's a certain level of attractiveness. Oh, something. I think I did the same one for you, by the way. That's what well, I did you on. I was like, yeah, he definitely has said this. Yeah, because it's true. And honestly, I mean, everyone's got their limits. Yes. <laughs> I want to like just take a second, if I may, and just paint a picture sure. for our listeners. Because in that moment, I just felt like I was your like relationship therapist because (laughs) I'm sitting on one side of the table and Anna and Jonah are sitting on the other and they're like trying to speak away their answers and like their comments and dig holes and graves and I'm like "Uh uh-huh I'm like not qualified okay we're just talking and um that's just the picture to paint and um also Anna's chair is like really really like small, like she's in the low chair, yeah. and we're in these like in the comfy bar chair. stools. So it's just it's just an interesting 
visual. And we don't have to go into this, um, <laughs> but also Anna will talk about uh, astrology and like uh, we're both cancers. Yes. And she'll say like, and she'll say all this stuff or send me like a meme with all this cancer <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, none of this shit's true about me. And she's like, because you're an evolved cancer. There's an unevolved cancer. <laughs> or are and you I think, on the cusp? Uh, maybe, but that's like the most I would know. My point, <laughs> my point was just basically like with this attachment styles and stuff. I think there's un, there's like um, unevolved and evolved versions of some of these answers. This is the way I would couch it. Oh yeah. Okay. So what anxious things did I get? Because I know I got some <laughs> of those. Goes, okay. Uh, not many, honestly. Oh yes. I'm I mean, you had a fourteen here. You had a fourteen. So that, that counts as like not really having it then. As long as that's what you wanted to say. So, <laughs> no, what did it say in the book? You what did it say in the more book? Anxious no, that then. was yeah. So it was like up to seventeen was you don't have it. Okay, um, but let's I, still talk about you know the yeah, components yeah. I have left, even though even though I don't. So all that means is that I am I am we we could say that I'm secure in my relationship with Jonah, but overall I have a predisposition to be anxious. And also, I mean, we've been in a relationship for a month, and I. I, I <laughs> I think I know you pretty well in the way, again, like we've both been through some shit. I think we can, we can gauge each other pretty accurately already. And we are already yeah. pretty, pretty damn close. We've known but, each other for longer than a Well, month. we've known each other for longer. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, once things we've get. We've known each other for like four months. Yeah. <laughs> but even still, like, once, once things get romantic, then it's different. But, you know, there's just things here that are, I'm only be able to speak to what I've seen. Okay. You know? Okay. Continue. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I gave you ones for everything. Except for, I think, two things. One is wants a lot of closeness, which I gave you three because you're very affectionate and Aww, close. Not a bad thing. And the only other one I gave you was in the middle. I gave you two for preoccupied with our relationship. And then, because, <laughs> n- again, <laughs> it sounds so silly saying it that, like, that way. But um, one of the, one of the facets of that was thinks about us a lot. Like, yeah, you do. Like, and yeah. I think it's really sweet. Yeah. I might have given. I think I actually gave you a little score too for that. But since it was um, under seventeen, I didn't identify it as an attachment. But score. like, I'll be at work at a meeting, and then I pick up my phone, and I have like eleven fresh memes ready to go. Fresh memes. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want that? <laughs> Please. I mean, I definitely do. So. Um. So I have a comment about the this testing and um, the interpretation. I really think that you're doing a big disservice to the test and its theories by not going over the answers that made the results what they were. Because on face value, your answer is like, okay, secure, half anxious, whatever. Right. But then hearing the questions that led to those answers, justification aside, it, you need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So if you, I, my recommendation would be if you do take this test with your you know, loved one and go over it, Definitely do this, like go over the questions. Yeah, I mean, on a podcast, we don't want to go through literally every single one. It no. would take... Way time. too long. Yeah. So next up, I'm just going to talk a little more about what the attachment styles are because we did a brief overview. And now going through this, obviously you're seeing a little more about what it's about. So in someone with a predominantly anxious attachment style or, you know, maybe it's equal with secure. So you love to be very close to your romantic partners and have the capacity for great intimacy. You often fear that your partner does not wish to be as close as you would like them to be. 
Relationships tend to consume a large part of your emotional energy. You tend to be very sensitive to small fluctuations in your partner's mood and actions, and although your senses are often accurate, you take your partner's behaviors too personally. You experience a lot of negative emotions within the relationship and get easily upset. As a result, you tend to act out and say things you later regret. If the other person provides a lot of security and reassurance, however, you are able to shed much of your preoccupation and feel contented. A comment I would like to make is I think this is some of it, like as you can see, some of the things aren't necessarily bad. And then when it gets to like severe anxious, it's like acting out and saying things you later regret, which mm-hmm. I will say I have never been like that. Like I've never acted out, which is something about anxious that's going into that we'll go into more later, but mm. I've, I've never gone to that point. It's a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, but I think my example, my relation to that is, first of all, I have said some, I have kind of freaked out and taken out my fears and at least verbally on people. Um, and also, like, I think back, like, to 10 years ago or something like that, and I definitely had enough of, like, a preoccupation where if things weren't going well and there was, like, something that was unresolved, I literally would feel like I couldn't go out and like function and like do things I had to do in the world. Like I couldn't like go to school or a job yeah, no, and, like, and like be uh, productive. Like I had to resolve this issue before anything else. I know exactly what yeah. you mean. Yep. I think I had a lot of desire for that, but I don't think so later on in the book, what they define like acting out was like threatening to break up with the person. I don't think I ever threatened to break up with someone in my life. I've had people threaten to break up with me. I have not done that to them though. Okay, so next up is secure. So the description for secure is as follows. Being warm and loving in a relationship comes naturally to you. You enjoy being intimate without becoming overly worried about your relationships. You take things in stride when it comes to romance and don't get easily upset over relationship matters. You effectively communicate your needs and feelings to your partner and are strong at reading your partner's emotional cues and responding to them. You share your successes and problems with your partner and able to be there for them in their times of need. So what you'd expect. I want to say something about it too because some of the language that I saw in the book um, was around the word dependency. Mm. And I think that I've always felt very strongly about that concept. Mm-hmm. Because, and I, and I, a lot of people, if you're listening and you've heard me talk about this thing before, like one of my friends or my family, you'll recognize this rant. But basically... I've always said dependency is a good thing, mm. and I've always said that people who use it in a negative way are evasive or something along those lines. I know that there's different. I know that there's different versions of these things. And I'm not trying to lump everything. Yeah, together. and in yeah. psych, it is codependent. Is yeah. like a codependent yeah. versus, but like there's a healthy version of dependency, right. and I think there's like a proliferation of like this like faux faux concept of independence that's actually more avoidant. Yeah. And that, that has, like, a lot of what I've always looked for in, like, a romantic match was someone who's comfortable sharing their life with somebody. Mm-hmm. In a, in a, in a, where you, you know, it is like a dependency, but in a healthy, like, yeah. nice way. Yeah. I, I, get, I get that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's like a inter, mm, interdependency. Like yeah. Uh, complimenting each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, like, getting each other's Well, like, everyone facts. needs someone to depend on at some points. Yeah. Like, from the mem- if, moment if, you're like, born. If you have to go to a surgery and you have no one to take you there, like, that's a really lonely feeling. Sure. Like, things like that, you know? 
So we we do all need and like obviously once again this isn't limited to romantic partners. If you don't have a romantic partner, that doesn't mean your life is meaningless and void. It just means that you know you need some sort of like at least one person in your life that you have a really strong dependable relationship with. Dependable. Yep. Okay. So on to avoidant. It is very important for you to maintain your independence and self-sufficiency, and you often prefer autonomy to intimate relationships. Although you do want to be close to others, you feel uncomfortable with too much closeness and tend to keep your partner at arm's length. You don't spend too much time worrying about your romantic relationships or about being rejected. You tend not to open up to your partners, and they often complain that you are emotionally distant. In relationships, you are often on high alert for any signs of control or impingement on your territory by your partner. So one thing I want to comment is that I think like meme culture, it's <laughs> it's pretty much based on being an anxious person who goes after avoidance. Like every single yeah. meme is about this. Yes. Every yeah. single ah. meme. Because, and you know, like I understand because that was me for a very large portion of my yeah, life. It's a defense like, mechanism. I have so many friends that are like, you know, everyone I go after is a fuckboy. Fuckboy is an interchangeable <laughs> right. term for an avoidant. Okay? Or, that, yeah. I was going to say that. I didn't okay? know if it was like PC. And you are anxious, and that is your worst match, which we will get into more. Yeah, hearing in that description is very powerful to me because, yes, I was an anxious person a lo- largely due to my own issues, but also everyone that I was interested in in my early 20s and mid-20s was definitely avoidant. And that just increased whatever anxious tendencies I had by a lot. Yeah. So that, I, I was going to ask a question. I think this is a good place to ask it. Is there a, uh, like a certain sex, like a percentage of like No, it's, male it's pretty, it's pretty equal. Okay. People would like to associate, what's going to happen is people are going to say, women are anxious and men are avoidance, but it's not true. It's split equally. It's split equally. But I will say my own thought, and I'm just putting this out now, is I would say, I, you know, you can look at things through a lot of lenses and it's going to be clear that actually this book is sort of written for people with an anxious attachment style and it does demonize avoidance and I don't really blame them. I think if we had to label which attachment style will be most similar to which personality disorder. I think of anxious attachment styles as being sort of um, have some shared components with people with like borderline personality disorder, like extreme fear of rejection. Whereas I would say many narcissists probably have avoidant attachment style. Like they line up real well, real, real, real well. Um, And I think it'll be if, you know, obviously at some point we're going to be doing covering personality disorders on here. I haven't taken on yet because I want to do it in like the right appropriate manner. It'll probably be three three part episodes. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be so many parts, but it's just something to keep in mind, like one of my own thoughts. And I don't have any scientific evidence to back anything I'm about to say, but basically in my experience when I was more anxious and, and my romantic companions were avoidant, I always noticed that it was directly tied to like the example set by their parents' relationship. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mom is 100% anxious. My dad, I wouldn't say he's like an avoidant, but definitely on the spectrum between secure and avoidant. So, you know, that was the relationship I had to model. Okay. So there are some interesting things like there obviously Joan and I have both sort of defended some components of anxious attachment styles. (laughs) Um, And here's some more info on that. 
If you have an anxious attachment style, you possess a unique ability to sense when your relationship is threatened. Even a slight hint that something may be wrong will activate your attachment system. And once it's activated, you are unable to calm down until you get a clear indication from your partner that they are truly there for you and that the relationship is safe. People with other attachment styles also get activated, but they don't pick up on subtle details that people with an anxious attachment style do. So they did a study and people with anxious attachment styles pick up on emotional expression of faces earlier than those with other attachment styles. This is why I think some of this is just genetic. I can't help that I'm very hyper aware of how other people are feeling. Genetic or they were like they milestones no, definitely, and being raised and your, your parent was very expressive when they talked to you. No, some of it's just genetic. I would say this is a genetic thing. Some of these mm. are clearly environmental and some are more genetic. Like this is capability to repeat. Obviously you have to, if you were like locked in a room the first 12 years of your life, even if you had the genetic component to be good at this, it's not going to matter. Mm. But some people are you know, they're just going to be better at this stuff. Yeah, so it's going to be some blend of nature, nurture. Of yeah. yeah. So to expand on that, so while anxious attachment people can pick up on emotions earlier, they also tend to jump to conclusions very quickly. And if they do that, they can misinterpret people's emotional state. But when they experimented in a way that was designed to make the anxious participants wait a little longer so they couldn't react immediately when they spotted a change, they could then get more information before making a judgment. Then they had a very big advantage over other participants. So essentially, that means if someone has an anxious attachment style, just wait a little longer before reacting and jumping to conclusions because at the end of the day, you do have... Uh, a little extra ability to decipher the world around you and use it to your advantage. Yeah. Mm. And I would say if you are listening and you hear what we're talking about and maybe dive into it a bit more yourself and understand or already sort of understand or recognize that you're more of an anxious type, time is a big deal. Like instead of making quick judgments and like freaking out and jumping on things, which I'm familiar with, (laughs) just knowing yourself and, and stepping back and looking in the mirror and saying, this is something I do. And usually I then later feel silly for it because I didn't yeah. take time to kind of sort through it and <laughs> right. balance myself out. Oops. Just just give yourself some time to think through things more. Give yourself something else to focus on. This is something I've done a lot. Oh. Like I always try to find something else to do where I can just remove my mind from that for a bit. And usually the solution presents itself in a more balanced way. Okay. Like kind of on its own. Interesting. Yeah. Like just taking time has been a large, a large part of what I think has helped me. Yeah. And you really have to be cognizant of it and like work at it at first until Mm -hmm. it just kind of becomes part of what you do. Sure. But even just like telling yourself, I'm not going to go say this thing to this person like right now. Yeah. I'll think about it more. And if I still, if I still feel this way and a lot of it, like actually I will tell you the number one best thing that I, that I was able to figure out so much of this is just feeling like you're getting something off of your chest. Sorry if this is like yeah. a, turning to like an advice no, column. No, but this is, this is the whole point. Okay. Come on. The Cosmo. So, that's what people are here for. So when I was an idiot, I would, you know, write like some epic ranting email that was accusatory <laughs> and shitty. Or an away message. Yeah. Or, well, in this case, it was an email. But I would do that and then I would just, I would have already had someone's email address sent, put in it. I, mm. I would, so I would spend however long, three hours crafting this ridiculous, epic, stupid email. 
So a large part of how I weaned myself off of, of that stuff was writing the same email, except for addressing it to myself. Okay. Because a lot of it was, was just working through thoughts. And I would go through the same whole thing of just getting all these thoughts out and organizing them and editing it a million times to sound right and feel like I was justifying my thoughts and explaining my thoughts better. Um, and then at the end of it, but first of all, by the time you're done doing that, you're already going to feel better. And then if you press send, you may already be over some of the things you wrote. Yeah. So I would just, I would write the whole thing with no one's name in, in the two yeah, box. Smart. And then I would, at the end, put my own name in it and send it to myself. So I had the whole thing. And I'm like, if I feel the same way later tonight or whatever, I'll send it. Right. And guess what? I never did. I wow. never sent it. That's so smart. But just getting it off your chest alone, like even yeah. if it's only to yourself, is extremely helpful. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. It's therapeutic. Yeah. It is, it's like we're much. it's literally like telling what you're going through to a therapist. Yes. Yeah. Like you know, and then you would feel better after that and probably oftentimes not need to express it to the other person. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so something to just keep in mind is that if you have an anxious attachment style, don't worry. You can do very well in relationships. You just have to be with someone who is secure. So anxious attachment style people, they need someone consistently available to reassure them. If you're with an avoidant person, you will ultimately become obsessed and unhappy. Ugh. So you can just not be with an avoidant person. So another study that was interesting... They found that when women with an anxious attachment style thought about negative scenarios, conflict, breakup, death of their partner, emotion-related areas of the brain became lit up to a greater degree than in women with other attachment styles. What's more, they found that regions of the brain associated with emotional regulation, such as the orbital frontal cortex, were less activated than in women with other attachment styles. In other words, the brains of people with an anxious attachment style react more strongly to thoughts of loss, and at the same time, under-recruit regions normally used to down-regulate negative emotions. This means that once your attachment style is activated, you will find it much harder to turn it off if you have an anxious attachment style. Isn't loss like the ultimate fear like the ultimate worry of anybody obviously yeah avoidant yeah. <laughs> yeah except for if you're avoiding well it still is for like everyone that's what just, I mean yeah. the whole thing is how you cope with anxious that. people yeah. are like hyper aware mm. secure people are like yeah it's possible I guess I'll have to deal with it if it happens yeah. hopefully and it strive. won't most likely it won't and then the avoidant is just like in denial essentially mm. so with all the information that we have spoken about the idea is if you're anxious and you're single, what you need to do is screen out avoidance and select for people who are predominantly secure, okay? You could potentially be with another anxious person, but you might drive each other crazy. So... <laughs> well, I think, I think it would work out. I know some people that are married, anxious couples. Yeah. And they... Basically have burrowed into their own world and don't interact with the outside world. Yeah, that's exactly what. So the yeah. healthiest thing is if is to get someone who can is secure and can help you become more secure. Okay. Okay. But that's it's just like it's obviously a spectrum. Yeah. But they can be with anxious people and it can work out okay. Yeah. Avoidance, it's not going to work no, out. They, they could have a relationship, but it's eventually going to end in some terrible way. So two anxious people in my mind, in an ideal world, would understand why the other person's feeling that way because they themselves are also anxious. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, so it's all... 
that but if two people are anxious they might not be able to help each other become more secure they, they also, might spiral in anxiety right. together. they validate each other in ways that aren't always really conducive to like evolution and growth <laughs> yeah and like and like other factors of being a person right yeah yeah but i think potentially if people are very young and they're anxious Maybe they both could become secure, but if people are older and anxious, I would say that's probably not the best best thing. Can two avoidant people be together? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Sorry, I was saying yeah because I was just like saying yeah to oh, okay. myself. Uh-huh. But no, no, no. They actually did a study and they looked at people's relationship styles and they found that there was not one avoidant, avoidant couple because they have no emotional glue to keep them together. Right, but they're like friends Avoidance, with benefits. Well, it's not really a relationship. Not then. even, because that takes some emotional glue. To be, have a long-term friend with benefits, yeah. someone is maintaining that going on. No. They're just using each other. It's not that simple. I think if, if it's a long-term friends with benefits, it would make, at least one person has to be secure. So forget the friends part. They're just benefits. Because even that requires like reaching out and communicating, and avoidance aren't that great at it. Uh, okay. Never mind the fact that I think in a lot of those situations, someone has more feelings than the other person. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like one, you know, gotcha. it's, it's like, and, and at the very least, one person is secure. There's no way that it's avoiding, avoiding. It just will never, never happen. Okay. Got it. So another thing to keep in mind is if you're anxious, that means you thrive on intimate, supportive relationships that are stable and long lasting. And that uncertainty and emotional unavailability gets you activated and preoccupied or in another way miserable so avoidance intensify your worries and feelings of inadequacy while others such as secures will be able to pacify them so we've already hinted at this why do anxious and avoidance end up together so often each reaffirms the other's beliefs about themselves and about relationships the avoidance Uh, defensive self-perception is that they are strong and independent and this is confirmed as is the belief that others want to pull them into more closeness than they are comfortable with the anxious types find that their perception of wanting more intimacy than their partner can provide is confirmed, as is their anticipation of ultimately being let down by significant others. So, in a way, each style is drawn to reenact a familiar script over and over again. Wow. That makes sense. Yep. So. There's also like a savior complex thing going on sometimes, I think, where people like think they're going to be the person that changes. Oh, them. yeah. For yeah. anxious? Definitely. Especially, you know, anxious people, you know, they think, oh, you know, this person will change for me or whatever. And they're very attracted to that. Yeah. That's why, like, it's the anxious person going after the fuck boy. Like, I'll make him not a fuck boy anymore or whatever. And it's not going to work out. Or so. I'm so great that this person's going to realize all these things yes. because of me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me, going back to the meme thing, it reminds me of that meme that was like, that's like, right now, the person you have a crush on is texting somebody else that they have a crush on. Like, that's, like, the perfect example. Like, you're worried yeah. about, that's a, I don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> talk about devaluing exes. I, a lot of this, like, this book was, like, it's very, it, I had an ex. We were together for three years. And he was, what they talk about is, like, the worst one. The anxious avoidant combo. But he was much more avoidant. But definitely had some of the anxious things too. Yeah. And so when I was reading this next part, it I thought a lot about me being anxious in that relationship and him being predominantly avoidant. So 
If you're anxious, you shouldn't be dating someone avoidant because you want closeness and intimacy and they want to maintain some distance, emotional and or physical. Next, you are very sensitive to signs of rejection. They like to send mixed signals that often come across as rejecting. You find it hard to tell them directly what you need and what's bothering you and act it out instead. They are bad at reading your verbal and nonverbal cues and don't think it's their responsibility to do so. They never think it's their responsibility to do anything, to be honest. And <laughs> if you're an anxious person, you're with an avoidant, you know, you might be, if you're with someone else, capable of talking about, like, your needs and stuff. But when you're with avoidance, like, you're in a hostile environment. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to be hard. And anxious people in general tend to have difficulty expressing their needs because they, you know, are so afraid of, like, pushing the other person away, you know? So, next, you need to feel reassured and loved. They tend to put you down to create distance as a means to deactivate their attachment system. This is a big one. This is a huge one. And this reminds me so much of my previous relationship. You need to know exactly where you stand in the relationship. They prefer to keep things fuzzy. Even if your relationship is very serious, some question marks still remain. Like when I was with this person for three years and be like, I don't know what's going to go on in the future. Okay, fuck off. <laughs> so. People that are together for 10 years and never talked about getting married. Yes. Are avoided really people is. just single? Like, So we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. <laughs> We are about to get to that. So, people with an avoidant attachment style tend to end their relationships more frequently. One study found that of individuals who enter a new marriage following a divorce, the avoidant ones are more likely to divorce again. They also suppress loving emotions, therefore get over partners very quickly so they can start dating again almost immediately. So... Even though avoidance are only 25% of the population, they are in the dating pool more frequently and for longer periods of time. The percentage actually ends up being way more than 25% of the people that you could possibly be of dating. the available yeah. fish in the sea. I think when I, whenever I've encountered avoidant people in that regard, I don't under, and then they're in relationships or they're on dating, they're talking about how they're on a dating site and going on dates. And I'm like, why? Yeah, that's like, that's my like, question. What do you do? Like, is it because yeah. they feel? Is it because they feel like that's what they're supposed to do? Yeah. Or like, or, or is there some spectrum? And there is some. Yeah. Good. There are some course. corners of them. Yeah, there's some corners of their personality that do care about companionship to some degree. Well, you know, they they get off on it. Remember, we talked about like what, why anxious and avoidance are ending up together like they want to feel like i'm so independent i don't need people but like look at i'm dating all these people but like i don't really care it's like a social status checklist yeah, yeah. It, like it makes it validates their independence well and what i said somehow. earlier it goes along with i think it goes along with narcissism and narcissists they definitely they need people to view them a certain way they get off on that so they're definitely going to be, they like to think about like all the people they could have. Hmm. That's like a thing for them. So, and often they have a lot of like casual sexual relationships. They, they hate like, uh, actually like getting close to someone and having like, you know, a sexual relationship with someone that's emotional. That's, they'd rather just like not have sex, but they love like casual sex. 
it, it's a thing, and I'm not I'm no, not I, trying to offend anyone who's into casual sex, but maybe you're avoidant. Just I I have one think about it a little bit. One avoidant person in my head. Yeah, that I it's just it's just a possibility to a T. Yeah. So the idea is that you know, like like we've sort of covered the avoidance will be recycled back into the dating pool more frequently than others, and they are never really dating one another, and nor will they be dating secure people because secure people won't put up with their bullshit. So they just end up dating people who are anxious, essentially. Hmm. And then another thought is that people with a secure attachment style usually don't go through that many partners because once they find someone that they're happy with, they just settle down. And they'll be, they'll just go progress to a long-lasting, committed relationship. So secure people may eventually, like sometimes after 20 years, people grow apart. Like there are often times where people had a really long relationship, something at some point just, they just grew differently. And then they end up separating and mm. then they could recycle back into the dating pool. So yeah, so that's stuff to keep in mind. And then... Another thing to keep in mind is that if you're anxious, the reverse of what happens when you meet someone avoidant happens when you meet someone secure. Because the person who is secure, they'll send you messages that are consistently honest and straightforward. They will not be afraid of intimacy. They secures know that they are worthy of love. So they don't play games ever. Secures are not about games and they'll cut off avoidance because avoidance are always playing games. They'll just be like, they will never let things get that far with avoidance because they'll just be like, Psh, I don't deserve this. Um, so they don't send you ambiguous messages. Um, and so one of the things to keep in mind is that because of this, when anxious people meet secures, they're often bored by them. They are used to this spark mm. that comes with inconsistent messages. And there's a big high when you're an anxious person and you get what you want from an avoidant and often it's like a win. you do this roller coaster for years in a relationship you're so addicted to the high that you get when you get what you want from the avoidant person that you just go through the lows to get the high so when unless you are aware that you're attracted to the wrong things and teach yourself to be attracted to secures you will you'll never end up with a secure you'll just say the spark was missing Wow. Yeah. So wow. that's something to keep in mind. And I will say, shout out to my friend Erica, who was on a prior bipolar episode. Hey, Erica. We both talked about how in um, we always had this, like, we did have that, like, this addiction to, like, this, the inconsistencies, the, the what we identified as, like, the spark. And... She felt very calm when she met her current partner. Said it was she called it a slow burn, instead of like the normal, whatever whirlwind. Whirlwind. That's what where it comes to mind. And I have always felt reasonably calm with you, <laughs> but I didn't think that that was a spark was missing because I had an insight to know that that was healthy. Because part of this whole thing is um, teaching yourself to become attracted to secures, but. I will say that in the past few years, I had taught myself, like, not knowing that this is what it was, but knowing what were signs of a secure person and choosing to be attracted to that. Because you, it, like, if you know that that's what's going to give you what you want, 
and you recognize that, then yeah. of course you're attracted to it. You can reprogram yourself yes. a little yeah. bit. And it's yeah. like a reward system. Like, yeah. 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 So essentially these anxious people, they associate a calm attachment system with boredom and indifference. So we'll go into some of the reasons why if you're anxious, you should be dating someone secure. So you want dating clo- someone boring. <laughs> yeah. You want close, you want closeness <laughs> and intimacy. They are comfortable with closeness and don't try to push you away. You are very sensitive to any signs of rejection. They are very consistent and reliable and won't send mis- mixed messages that you, that you will become upset by. And if you become distressed, they will know how to reassure you. So you find it hard to tell them directly what you need and what's bothering you and might act out instead. They see your well-being as a top priority and do their best to read your verbal and nonverbal cues. So, like, the idea is even if someone's, like, anxious enough that they act out, the secure person, like, literally doesn't give a fuck and it's just like, oh, whatever, like, I know they're fine. Mm. And that'll actually end up, like, stopping that from continuing to play out. Interesting. So you need to feel reassured as well as loved. And they feel comfortable telling you how they feel very early on in a consistent manner. You need to know exactly where you stand in the relationship. They are very stable and they also feel comfortable with commitment. I have a question for you. Yeah. So you have said several things about if you're anxious, seek a secure person. They'll give you the things that you need in a healthy way, effectively, yeah. right? Well, what would you say to a secure person? Because I would imagine that there's many people that have been secure for a long time that are fairly balanced and anything on either end of the spectrum like it's a little bit more off the scales might kind of freak them out or they might be like, why am I dealing with this shit? I I'm, I'm pretty even keeled. This person is like freaking out all the time. So in my mind, every time you said that kind of stuff, I'm thinking like, okay, if you're anxious, seek someone who's secure, but I'm thinking like, but patient. So like, what would you say to a secure person who has feelings for someone that's, that's anxious? So if someone is anxious and they're like, let's say they don't have like a full blown personality disorder or something, they're just, they have a predisposition to have an anxious attachment style. The studies show that if a secure person calms them down a lot in the beginning, they'll, their attachment style will change to secure. So then it'll be two secure people together. Uh, I think So to be patient. Yeah, yes. but I think that patience is hand in hand with being secure. That's how they sure. got to that. So that I so you know, it depends on how much you care about the person too. I'm not telling a secure to like, you know, get in a relationship with an anxious person and fix them, but sometimes a secure person is gonna be really head over heels for someone who has an anxious attachment style. And to mm. them it's gonna be worth it to reassure the person and they want that person to stay in a relationship with them. And I don't think it's always, <clears throat> I don't think it's always like uh, anxious person acts, respond person, or anxious person acts out, secure person responds. I think it's more of the unconscious like vibe, like over time, just kind of realizing that there really isn't much for the anxious person to get anxious over. Yes. So I don't think that there may even be much actively on the secure person's end to even really respond to. I think it's just yeah. the way things work out. Yeah. And and to me too, like um, Anna's point about like not necessarily having a full blown personality disorder. To me, the alternative is just if you're a secure person and some you have feelings for someone that you've noticed like acts out once in a while and looking for that confirmation or reassurance. First of all, reassurance is human. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs it to some degree. Yeah. 
but also like just try to I would say um, to try to be understanding and under and like try to find out where these things might have come from. Maybe there's some yeah. kind of history there with yeah. things they've seen or things they've been through. And be sensitive to that. Yeah. 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 Which again, I think to your point, is you know uh, things that go hand in hand with being a secure person. Mm-hmm. So anxious people often, when they're thinking about people, they're all like, "Will this person be into me?" Which is somewhat natural and not only anxious, but really what everyone should be doing when they're looking for a partner is, can this person provide what I need in order to be happy? And you should lead with that. And the opposite should, the next part should be secondary. Like first you should be assessing, do I like this person? Then worry about, you know. Right. You know. So like, don't and, and what And what you like should be things that are healthy. So hopefully you can identify those, but we'll talk about them more. So... Another thing is if you know you're anxious, and now you know we've talked about how for anxious people, secure people can be boring, you need to be aware of that. So, you know, there's a difference between I'm not sexually attracted to this person, then I, you know, this person is attractive, but like, I don't, I don't feel the way that I've felt in the past, which Mm. is like, oh, wait, this person, like, for example, like a lot of anxious people will get really turned off by someone being upfront about their emotions. Like when I was younger, if someone told me they liked me or something, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was really like, if someone was really into me, I was like, Ugh. but that's part of like- you were the, into them first? Did, it didn't care. It would still be it's bad. Like the, it's like the Groucho Marx not wanting to be a club, a member of any club that would have him as a member. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, part of the anxious Why thing is- Why would you like me? Part of the anxious <laughs> thing is insecurity and thinking you're not worthy and things like that. So it's just playing in like- you want someone who plays into that. Going back to what, why anxious are attracted to avoidance. You have this idea of yourself mm. that you know you really aren't like worthy of things or anything, and you want to play it out. Just like the avoidant person wants to be like above everyone and not the one attached, and they want to play that out. You right. know, so there's something you're getting out of it, which is not healthy. <laughs> so another thing about avoidance. They are quick to think negatively about their partners. They like to see them as needy and overly dependent, a major element in their view of relationships, but they ignore their own needs and fears about relationships. So what they do, they say, I'm not ready to commit, but stay together nonetheless, sometimes for years. Uh, My ex definitely did this. He could never say that he had any thought about being married or like long-term things and we were together for three years and living together so okay they like to focus on small imperfections in their partner the way they talk dress eat etc and allow it to get in the way of their romantic feelings so essentially they just like to put you down for shit yeah they like to find things not to like yes not saying i love you while implying that you do have feelings towards the other person so I think sometimes they'll be the one where like the other person will say I love you and then they'll be like, mm, thank you, I'm, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> and then eventually they might say it after a really long time, but like only in return. And sometimes they'll say it themselves, but n- very infrequently. At least that was like, my situation wasn't that like they didn't say it back to me. It was like I said it and like six months into the relationship or something, they said it back to me. And then they would just infrequently say it first, but... Then I was like, okay, in the future, I'm not saying that first Mm. (laughs) because I didn't want that to happen again because then you feel like – and then the same thing with, like, everything. Like, I think I suggested moving in together, and they went along with it. And then I was like, you know, sometime in the future, I think I'd like to get married. 
And they just like looked at me. I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> what um, do you want? Okay, that? bye. <laughs> Not at the time, but eventually I was like, bye. Keeping secrets and leaving things foggy to maintain your feeling of independence. So definitely I could think of a lot of examples of this. Um, avoiding physical closeness. Not wanting to share the same bed. Not wanting to have sex. Walking several strides ahead of your partner. My ex was like, okay, wait, wait. This is like actually sort of like fucked up. So my ex, and I didn't see it at the time. He was like, um, yeah, like I just, I really don't think the bed is comfortable. So I'm just going to sleep on the couch. So the whole year and a half we were living together, he slept on the couch and I slept in the bed. And then now I have to clarify, I do think, and this is not just me saying things. This was with the help of a therapist that I was working with at the time that I realized that my ex was a borderline and a narcissist, which is also goes hand in hand to being anxious and avoidant, mm-hmm. right? So whenever he was like mad at me, he would like, like one time he didn't have sex with me for a month. So they use it as like a manipulation. Also, avoidance have the least sex in relationships, Really? Anxious and secures have a lot of sex. Avoidance don't like it because it's it's making it's improving your relationship. Oh. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that that it didn't happen. It there were a lot of situations that happened that were more like rape, but it's like a it's a form of control, right? Mm. So they don't want thing they want they're just using it as as control. Um okay, so moving on. People with a secure attachment style, they are characterized by something very real but not outwardly visible. They are programmed to expect their partners to be loving and responsive and don't worry much about losing their partner's love. They are extremely comfortable with intimacy and closeness and have an uncanny ability to communicate their needs and respond to their partner's needs. So here are some qualities of secures. They are great conflict de-escalators. They are mentally flexible and will reconsider their ways or beliefs. They are effective communicators. Being an effective communicator, we'll go into it in a little more, but it just essentially means that you're willing to be open and honest about how you're feeling. They do not play games and will quickly get rid of anyone who does so. They spot red flags early on and will terminate relationship from going any further. Man, I really wish I had that capability (laughs) with my ex. There were some real red flags early on that I ignored. Okay, comfortable with closeness, aren't afraid of being a mesh. They are quick to forgive, and they are inclined to view sex and emotional intimacy as one. They treat their partners like royalty. They are secure in their power to improve the relationship. They feel that they are responsible for their partner's well-being, and they expect to be treated with respect, dignity, and love in return. So... One thing to keep in mind, which is something I've made this comment so many times. I'm like, you know, people who end up with like their high school sweetheart, they can't really like, and even if they have a good relationship, do they know how good their relationship is? Or like college sweetheart, I would categorize it too. So studies show that the people most appreciative of a secure relationship are those who've had relationships with both secure and insecure partners. So they have to have previous experiences with someone who's like an avoidant or else they're not going to be able to appreciate what they have presently. Yay, love my past relationships. Okay, so 
the next stuff that I read, it was just sort of about like going back to that. It's not just the parent child relationship that determines your attachment style. There's a lot of other components. And, um, the big thing is that we sort of mentioned on a little before is that our romantic experiences as an adult have an impact on that. So, you know, just keeping in mind that changes can happen in both directions. And even if you're a secure person to begin with, that doesn't mean that like you're okay. Like you need to be aware of like, especially avoidance and avoid them because you could change to being an anxiously attached Mm. person after like a terrible experience with an avoidant partner. So some things to keep aware of about what happens in ancient avoidant relationships, which we've touched on briefly. So one thing is the roller coaster effect. Every once in a while, when the avoidant partner makes themselves t- available to the anxious partner, the latter's attachment system is temporarily quieted and you achieve extreme closeness, leading to the feeling of a high. This closeness, however, is perceived as a threat by the avoidant partner and is quickly followed by withdrawal on his or her part, only to create renewed dissatisfaction for the anxious partner. Next, the emotional counterbalancing act. If you're avoidant, you often inflate your self-esteem and sense of independence in comparison to someone else. If you're anxious, you're programmed to feel less than when your attachment system gets activated. Frequently, avoidants feel independent and powerful only to the extent that their partner feels needy and incapable. This is one of the main reasons avoidants hardly ever date one another. They can't feel strong and independent in relation to someone who shares the same sentiment as they do. Hmm. The relationship will always be unstable, and they will constantly fight about things that shouldn't be fights. The avoidant will take out all their anger on their anxious partner. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Anxious will feel too emotionally connected to leave even though their relationship feels wrong. Powerful. So, I mean, I think part of, like, what trapped me in my relationship was for so long as I grew up super religious. And, like, there's all this, even if you don't subscribe to, like, and I grew up super Christian, if you don't subscribe to, like, Christianity to that extent, like, in my mind, we were married, and you don't leave someone that you're married to, which is so silly, because obviously he didn't view it that way. I was like, oh, you know, like, you make things work, so you continue being abused. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then, like, you know, I was, this person took out everything negative on me and was generally really terrible um another thing to note conflict is often left unresolved because the resolution itself creates too much intimacy if you're anxious or secure you generally want to work out a relationship problem however the resolution itself often brings a couple closer together this is a scenario that however unconsciously the avoidant partner wants to avoid While people with an anxious or secure attachment style seek to resolve a disagreement to achieve greater emotional closeness, this outcome is uncomfortable for the avoidant who actually seeks to remain distant. In order to dodge the possibility of getting closer, avoidants tend to grow more hostile and distant as arguments progress. Unless there is recognition of the process involved in an anxious avoidant conflict, the distancing between the conflict tends to repeat itself and causes a lot of unhappiness. So the situation just becomes worse and worse. 
With every clash, the anxious person loses more ground. During bitter fights between anxious and avoidant partners, when there are no secure checks and balances in place, people with anxious attachment style tend to get overwhelmed by negative emotions. So often they start behaving in protest behavior. When they calm down, they become flooded with positive memories and then over, are overcome with regret. They reach out to the partner and attempt to reconcile, but they are often met with a hostile response because avoidance react differently in a fight. They turn off all attachment-related memories and instead remember the worst of their partner. Wow. Specifically, how my ex liked to fight was... Um, this silent treatment for like several days in a row, uh, which I think is the most cruel thing you can do to someone. I wouldn't even like know what was the reason, but there was something like, I mean, there were little things that he like yelled at me consistently every day for. Like, God forbid, I didn't like, let's say I like left a paper towel out on the table. He would like scream at me about it, <laughs> but he was so messy. It like didn't even make sense. Yeah. They just look for things yeah, to like. It's not consistent. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously this book is making avoidance sound somewhat even abusive, but that's not far from the truth. So, yeah. In and then a study of couples found that avoidant men and women had sex less with their partners, blah, blah, blah. We already talked about that. So the idea is what better way to avoid intimacy than reducing sex to bare minimum? So... They found that anxious people with anxious attachment styles, they use sex to achieve a sense of affirmation and also they want to feel attractive, like that their partner feels they're attractive. So the anxious person subscribes a lot to sex, Mm. but the avoidant person wants to avoid it because they don't want to get close to them. So now the anxious person is left feeling very rejected. Mm. So something else to keep in mind with the avoidant person they like having like someone to take out all their anger on and it's often their anxious partner so some signs you can look for that you have become quote the enemy for the (laughs) avoidant person you are ashamed to let friends and family know how your partner really treats you me lying for several years um You're surprised when you see your friends being treated considerately by their partners. Mm -hmm. You are the person most likely to be insulted by your partner. Your emotional and physical health are low on your partner's priority list. So, I don't know. I'm I'm just thinking about, like, various ways this played out. So, there was this one time, you know, it was the day I was going to get my board exam back, which is... A big scary day after you Mm. take your first board exam and you know the date you're going to get it back, right? So I knew I was going to get it at 5 p.m. that day. And I remember telling my now ex, I was like really anxious about it. Obviously, everyone is. This is not just any any person who's in med school or going through med school knows, especially the first one. And it's not even just like passing. You're also worried about your score. Like if you do pass, did you do okay? There's like a lot of components to it. And he just ignored me and like, went to go, like, vacuum upstairs and was like, you'll be fine. Was he jealous? I don't know. He was, like, wild. He told me I was, like, stupid all the time, and he was unemployed, and I was in medical school. That's probably jealous that that you had a big, momentous, you know, thing. But that that played out, like, so many times, like, situations like that. But, you know, before I go on, I want to say that the reason that I know that my ex was not just avoidant and that he was anxious is when I got to the point where I was... uh, 
had clarity and was like, I need to get out of this. Although I was very scared because the relationship was seriously abusive and I was very scared for my safety, legitimately so. And people who knew him understand why I was scared of that. Um, He flipped into like anxious. So when I was trying, so like he made me cry like once in our entire relationship. And then when I was trying to like break up with him, he started like crying all the time. And it was sort of like, looking back like I think he was he was seriously upset because I think he just thought that I would ride this out with him forever and couldn't imagine that I would just leave him yeah but then he was like crying all the time and and it wasn't like manipulative he was like you know uh, they're very people like this are very selfish but they still have things they care about that they're like getting out of the relationship and then like something a typically avoidant a, a typically avoidant person like if you're straight avoidant, you would want the relationship to end, right? So you're not yeah. you're not gonna like if the other person's trying to leave, you're not gonna lash lash latch onto it. You're gonna like just let them go, and you're gonna go move on to someone else and play this out again. Mm. But like, he made it incredibly difficult for me to leave, and he was also doing something that you would expect more from an anxious person, like an anxious bad person, like uh, going through my phone. Mm not letting me have my phone, yeah. things like that. Um, stole my phone until I gave him my passcode so he could go in it, and uh, clearly I couldn't communicate with anyone about what was going on, so I had to just like let him go through my phone. And, you know, I was trying to like break up with him, so there were some displeasing things on my phone. Um, so I think, you know, that's like worst-case scenario. You have someone who has all of these components. And then when I eventually, I mean, it was very hard to break up with him. I could only break up with him because the avoidant component was that when I moved for residency, he didn't move with me, which was actually a saving grace. But then when he sensed that I was trying to get out, he like essentially tried to move in with me, but I didn't let it get that far. But like when I broke up with him, he showed up at my doorstep, which we were not living that close. This was like a several hour drive. And and then I like felt really bad, and like didn't kick him out immediately, and things like that. And then when I eventually cut him off, he that day he acted so erratic that he got like fired from his job. So it was just like very messed up, and I didn't feel safe for several months after that. So so is it? I, I'm kind of hearing maybe like it was like a what is it like a wolf in sheep's clothing like he adapted these like anxious tendencies to try to um kind of lure you in like take the bait because being avoidant you were playing into his avoidant you were he was on the roller coaster too like that fed your anxious tendencies fed his avoided tendencies and he liked Mm -hmm. that and it would have been too much effort to go back into the pool and try to find somebody else well I think too a lot of his behavior makes a lot of sense if you read about people with both borderline and narcissism um and you know ideally don't get into relationships with these people when I was 
when I met him, I was 22 and he was 34. First off, I don't think, I think age gaps like that are very concerning, especially when the younger person is under 25, because I think you are very easily manipulated mm. and the older person is looking for someone who's easily manipulated. And it is what it is. And so, but I was 22, I was pretty like dumb when mm. it came to these types of things. So a lot of the things that as an older person would have been totally red flags for me and I would have been like, oh. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is like exciting. Like, I'm I'm trying to think of examples, but just like the, there were definitely some things early on that like he did the silent treatment thing, maybe like a month into us like dating or something, or a few weeks into it. And if I was later on, I would have been like, no, mm -hmm. like this is over. And then also but that set the tone. Yeah, and I think I grew up in a time where like. I grew up in a time. <laughs> I'm like 28. But I grew up at, like, at that, that time, there were a lot of things that were being presented as things you should look for in relationships. Like what was the biggest book when I was in college? Fifty Shades of Grey, which is essentially an abusive relationship. And it's being romanticized. Yeah. So there were a lot of things that happened early on that like me now would have been like what the fuck is wrong with this person bye yeah. but I was younger and I thought I thought like people trying to control you was exciting mm, now mm -hmm. it's like repulses me yeah but like so there were a lot of things that I really should have seen but overall he was pretty besides the red flaggy things he was actually pretty very nice to me besides the red flag things very nice to me the first year and a half but then when we moved in together it went downhill so quick it was wow. so terrible <laughs> but I was stuck so yeah, that's that. Um, so something to talk about and sort of close this out with is how to be an effective communicator because this is what will bring you a good relationship that you want. So the five principles of effective communication. The first one, wear your heart on your sleeve. So be open about how you feel and speak it and like, a lot of people, they're, like, so afraid of the other person's response. But if you are, like, genuine and being honest and someone reacts poorly to that, That's maybe you shouldn't be with that person, you know? So just, you know, figure out early on. Don't waste a lot of time if the person's not right for you. Get out of the relationship. Two, focus on your needs. So that means stating your needs so the other person can fulfill them. And obviously, you should care about their needs as well. Be specific. So instead of vagary, just get to the point. Don't blame. So, you know, sometimes you might feel a certain way, and you don't need to blame someone for that. You can just express how you feel without blaming. It appears the garbage didn't walk itself out the door today. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. No, you should definitely still say that. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> and lastly, be assertive and unapologetic. So I know this might be hard, but these are just some things to think about. I I wish that I had read this book when I was like, I mean, when I was in high school. It would have saved me like a decade of no. messed up shit. Yeah, no. Because you also need to be in a place to receive the information. Yeah. Because if you were in high school and read this, you would have no frame of reference That's of true. what an anxious person looks like, what an avoidant person That's looks like. That's true. Yeah. 
But maybe if I just read it a little earlier. <laughs> a, little, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. So, hey. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are still messaging me, and they're like, oh my god, I'm only into fuck boys, blah, blah, blah. Please, please, I hope you've listened to this episode. And I hope you go read this book. And I hope you learn what to be attracted to. Please. I, you can't change things. Like, you can't change what you're physically attracted to. It's not going to happen. You can't change certain things, but you can change what behaviors and other people you are attracted to. You do have control over that. Mm. Because I, the anxious person, they want a long-lasting, secure relationship. So if you want that, there are certain things you need to look for to get it. And you also need to learn to be an effective communicator. Because I still have anxieties, but I'm able to communicate them. Yes. That isn't I I do that. I have I have anxieties and I think my boyfriend has no anxieties. So he thinks I'm like crazy for lack of a better term, but I'm like, I don't care. I have to tell you what makes me anxious. Like this makes me anxious, please don't do it. Yeah. And it's worked. Like he's more aware of things that I need and he'll make fun of me for it. Mm-hmm. But it's saved a lot of why are you like this you know what I mean like well I'm I'm anxious I have a problem yeah (laughs) I've already had to explain to Jonah a couple times about my anxieties same here (laughs) there you go so you know and then if you are with someone who wants things to work out you'll have a good talk and things will be better but if you're with an avoidant person things will just get worse and worse so get off the roller coaster yeah avoidant people aren't going to be listening to this podcast so i can like talk <laughs> shit on them no really they won't there's They'll no be avoiding it there's no avoidant person that's going to be into my podcast there's just like they're not going to be listening it's the secures and anxious who listen to this so hopefully this was helpful <laughs> Thank you for this consult. consult.